You ever want to get away? Um, South Southwest uh, Airlines did a an ad campaign a couple years ago, and I loved it. We would always crack up, and that was their tagline at the end of the message: um, "Want to get away?" And they would show these people in really awkward situations, and then whenever the awkward moment had kind of reached its peak, then the guy with the voiceover would go, "Want to get away?" The obvious answer is yes. I mean, I, I know, I don't know if you've ever been caught in, in weird, awkward situations. I know what that's like. Um, I thought about this over the holidays. I could not have been more than eight or nine. And, of course, I thought about this because my sisters love to tell the story. I could not have been more than eight or nine. And um, some of you are not old enough to remember the song by Ray Stevens called The Streak. But if you do remember that song, go ahead and show your age. I mean, your hand. Um, but when that song came out, we, we were having family night. Now, a lot of you know my dad, um, Dr. Jenkins. Um, he's been here a couple times, and if you see him around town, he looks like Bob Newhart. Anyway, um, and he knows that. I mean, Bob Newhart's a handsome man. And some of you knew my mom before she passed away. She used to run the Albemarle Christian Bookstore in Hallmark. And so she's just like, she was a saintly woman, you know. If ever there was a woman without sin... Well, she wasn't without sin, but she was pretty close. And so we're at home, and we're having family night, and my sister, Laura, Laura, she's back in the nursery because she's being punished for this. Um, not that working in the nursery is punishment, of course, because we need help there too. Okay, just forget I said all that. Let's move on. My sister, Laura, came and found me in the back, and we were having game night or whatever, so we're sitting in the den of my parents' house, and we're all sitting in a circle, and I had gotten up to go to the back, and she came running back, and she said, Paul, Paul, I've got this great idea for family night. It's going to be awesome, and here's what you have to do. Sissy's going to go play that song, The Streak, and you're going to go streak in front of mom. And I'm eight or nine. This is not last week. <laughs> I'm eight or nine. Let's just go ahead and say that. I'm probably old enough to know better. But at eight or nine, my eyes just lit up and it was like, yeah, let's do it. And so, you know, my sister starts playing, oh, yes, they call him the streak. Boogadee, boogadee, whatever he says there. And so, like, it's going bananas. It's playing. And I come running from the back of the house up to the den where my mom is sitting cross-legged on the floor. And I took all my eight or nine-year-old glory, and I mean, I'm, I'm making it rain right there in front of my mom. You know, I'm, just, I'm going all over the, I'm just dancing. I'm like all over the place, you know. And my sister, Laura, is kind of off to the side doing this. <laughs> He's so stupid. And my mom was not happy. So I know what it's like to have a want to get away moment. You're like totally in my situation, literally exposed. And sometimes we find ourselves in those situations where we are exposed. And we really just, if we could, we would snap our finger and we would be gone out of that situation. And that went horribly wrong for me and I found myself kind of captured by the moment now we're going to look at a passage in isaiah 43 19 where the the people of god 
are kind of, they're captured too. They're in Babylon. They're in captivity. And God's going to speak a word to them, and it's a good word. But you've just got to understand that they were also in a place where if they could, they would have snapped their fingers and gotten out of that place. They were exposed. They were miserable. And in that misery, here's what God said, Isaiah 43, 19. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. For me, when I read that, I see two very fundamental questions that I want to answer this morning. Okay? Here's the first one. I've got on your sheet, how does God do new things? The short answer is this. He does new things not the way that we would. I'm naked in front of my mother in all of my glory, which at eight or nine is not much, right? And if I could do a new thing in that moment, I would have vaporized myself to the back of the house with clothes on. I would have gotten out of that situation. And when we're caught, when we're captive, when the Israelites heard this promise, what's the first thing they probably thought? Oh, God's going to do a new thing. He's going to get us out of here. As Lee Corso would say, not so fast, my friend. Y'all know who Lee Corso is? No. The three of us had a moment there, didn't we? (laughs) Thank goodness. That's not how God does a new thing. Let's admit that we would like to have an easy button. Have you ever thought about that? That when we get into the, the situations that seem old and cold and hard, we would give anything if that easy button was real. <clears throat> Fixed, just like that. That's not how God operates. Here's how God does a new thing. God does not remove us from hard places. He moves us through hard places. This is the part where you fill in the blank. God does not remove us from hard places. He moves us through hard places. Um, Let's look at a couple verses in Isaiah 43. Verse 2 says this. When you pass through the waters, when you pass through the rivers... When you walk through the fire, verse 16 says, He made a way through the sea. He made a path through the mighty waters. Psalm 23, 4, probably the most quoted psalm of all time, right? The 23rd Psalm. What does it say in verse 4? Well, if you learned it like I did in the King James, it starts with yay. Nowadays, if you say yay, people are like, there's a party. Where is it at? Back in the day, yay meant the beginning of this verse. And he would say, yay, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. God is not about picking you up like a crane and removing you from a hard place. He's all about moving you through a hard place. There are surely times in Scripture that God miraculously seems to push the magic button. I can think of at least one. Acts chapter 12, Peter was in prison. And he's just hanging out there, and God literally, with an angel, blew open the prison door. <laughs> that would have been awesome to see, wouldn't it? A little pyrotechnics in the Bible. I'm just in prison. Boom! Wow, there's an opening. I'll walk through it. That would have been awesome. 
That's one time I can think of in Scripture that God just instantaneously delivered somebody. But the, the majority of the time, the weight of Scripture is what we're talking about here, where God just comes alongside. He moves us through hard places. Think of all the things that come because of hard stuff. How do we get energy? Friction, right? We could rub two people together right now and stick them up on the wall to prove the point, but we won't. How do we get diamonds? Pressure. How do you become sharper in your life? Proverbs 27, 17. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Nobody likes the sharpening process, but the way to get sharp is to kind of get rubbed like that, back and forth. He's not calling us to blink, to click our heels three times, to wish ourselves away. He's calling us, uh, turn real quick to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13. He's calling us to stand. I tell you all the time that there are certain verses in the Bible that I don't always like. That I read them and go, I wish you could have written that differently, God. This is one of them. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13 says this, Therefore put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And I'm all into that, right? That's a guy verse, isn't it? Full armor, <laughs> stand in the day of evil. But what does it say next? And after you have done everything to stand. Like, not after you've done everything, close your eyes and hope it all goes away. After you've done everything, stand. Not flee, stand. The power of the gospel is not that God is powerful enough to get us out of hard things. It is that he is powerful enough to meet us in the hard things and help move us through them. Think about that. If God was all about getting us out of hard times, the Christmas story would have been different, right? Because he would have come here. It might have gone something like, and suddenly there was with the angels a giant galactic spaceship. Sucking all of mankind up into it to deliver them from the evil people around them and taking them to paradise where they poop butterflies. But that's not the Christmas story. The story of the gospel is that Jesus entered our hard place and he walks through that hard place to make a way for us through the hard place. So this year, when God's doing a new thing, we need to do this. First and foremost, ask God, don't get me out of this. Don't deliver me from this. Don't make it all go away. Show me how you're going to take me through this hard place. And here's how he does it. God provides direction and protection in hard places. He provides direction and protection in hard places. The last part of verse 19 says, I'm making a way in the wilderness. I'm making streams in the wasteland. He promises two things that we don't want, and he promises to give them in the last place that we want them. Let me explain what I mean by that. Most of us do not want direction. We want a destination. Does that make sense? We don't want God to say, now if you'll go this direction... Eventually, you'll get where you're going. 
We want God to say, hey, come on, hop on my back. Now you're here. We don't want direction. We want a destination. We don't even want protection. What we want is perfection. We don't want to be protected from anything. We'd rather live in a world where there's nothing to be protected from. Everything's perfect. There's a place like that. It's Camelot. Not even Camelot. It's heaven. There is a place where things will be perfect, where things will be totally new, where we won't have to be protected from stuff. That's heaven, not here. So God gives us two things that we really don't want. He provides direction by making the way. He gives us protection. I love how he gives them a river in the desert. I've never been in a desert. Anybody been in a desert? I would imagine there's a lot of sand, heat, not a lot of water, and suddenly, boom, there's a river. I mean, if I'm in a desert and there's a river, I'm in the river. Maybe y'all are the people that would just go, that's really pretty. But I'd be in the river. I would swim in the river as far as I could before I had to get out. He provided direction. He provided protection. I love that um, verse 20 says that even the animals will praise him because of how he takes care of his children in the hard places. Isaiah 43, verse 20. The wild animals honor me, the jackals and the owls, because I provide water in the desert and streams in the wasteland to give drink to my people, my chosen. So God's going to provide for you in a hard place, and then like animals around you are just going to start like clapping their hands and raising their paws and praising God. <laughs> that would be wild to see, wouldn't it? We tried to work that out this morning, but our dog wasn't going to do it. So if God is going to do a new thing, the question is, how do we perceive it? How do we keep from missing it? Look what it says in verse, in verse 19. I'm doing a new thing, now it springs up, and he asks this question, do you not perceive it? Which means there is the possibility that God could do something new, and we could totally miss it, right? So I want to answer that one question. What can we do to ensure that we see the new thing that God's doing? Um, if you are under the age of 30, close your ears. I'm fixing to say sex. I'm just kidding. You don't have to close your ears. Listen, I want to make sure you understand this. That word perceive, that's not about just seeing. It's not about just hearing. That's a very intimate, involved word. If you are a King James fan... You've read the passages where it says, and Adam knew Eve and bore a son. I've always loved that. What a great way to say it. Because you know there's something going on there. And that something that's going on there is this exact same word. Do you not perceive it? Can we just boil it down like this? Can we at least say that perceiving the new thing that God does is more than thinking about it? It's more than standing back and observing it? This is about being engaged in what God is doing. If we could rephrase that question, here's what it would say. Look, I'm doing something new right in the place of your hardest battle. Will you engage in it with me? So God's asking you this question. How do you keep from missing the new thing? You engage with him in what he's doing. You become a very active participant. And here's two ways to do it. Two tips. Here we go. Choose new mercy over old misery. 
Choose new mercy over old misery. Lamentations 3, verses 22 and 23 says that the Lord's mercy is new every morning. It's not meant to be old. You ever eaten stale food? Some of you this morning. (laughs) Stale food is just nasty. I mean, I think the worst stale food is crackers. Because, you know, you reach in and you're like, that rich cracker is looking so good. And then you bite it and there's no crunch. It just kind of folds in your mouth. You're like, ugh, I just ate cardboard. You know, you're spitting it out. You know, God's mercy is not meant to be stale. It's new every single morning. The question is this, will we choose mercy or will we choose the misery that we're already in? At some point, we have to make a choice, right? I'm going to see the new mercy that God's giving. I'm not going to continue to focus on the old misery. Mercy leads to betterness, which is a word that I made up because it goes along with misery leading to bitterness. Mercy leads to betterness. Misery leads to bitterness. Hebrews 12:15 says that if we choose bitterness, then a root of bitterness springs up and it causes us to miss receiving grace from God. And if I read any verse in the Bible that says if I do X, then I could possibly not be able to receive grace from God, I don't want to do X. So if we choose to hold on to bitterness, that verse says we short-circuit the ability we have to receive the grace from God. The mercy that he provides new every single morning, we could actually lose the ability to receive it because we've chosen old misery versus new mercy. And the last one is this. Um, choose a new strategy over old insanity. There's a lot of debate on whether or not Albert Einstein actually said the famous quote about insanity is doing the same thing and expecting different results. But somebody said it. Somebody smarter than me. But it's true. Here's my favorite example. Um, anybody vacuum a lot? No men's hands were going up there. Okay, Terry, you vacuum. So I'm going to relate because I vacuum sometimes. Um, probably not as much as I should. But there's this... There's this thing that people do when they vacuum, and you run across a string that the vacuum won't pick up. Have you ever had that happen? And so you run over that thing 5, 10, 15, 20 times. And then what do we do? We bend over, we pick the string up, we examine the string, and we put it back down to try again. (laughs) To me, that's total insanity. Doing the same thing, but expecting a different result. You've already got it in your hand. Do something different, like, say, throw it in the trash can. But we throw it right back down. We do the same thing. We are creatures of habit. You put the same leg in your pants every morning first. Yeah, we don't put the different leg. Hey, I'll put yours in now. My left leg goes in first. Is this too personal for you? If, if Wendy ever hears in the, middle, like in the middle of the night or early morning, if she ever hears this, doom, doom, boom, it's because I tried to put my right leg in first. I am a creature of habit, and so are you. We do the same things. And insanity is doing the same thing but expecting it to turn out differently. I want to challenge you this year. You want to not miss the new thing that God wants to do in your life? Get a different strategy. 
Try something new this year. Do a new strategy. I love what God says in verse 22 of Isaiah 43. After he gives them this great word about how he's going to do a new thing, he says this, Yet you've not called on me, Jacob. You have not wearied yourselves for me. Hey, guess what, guys? I'm going to do a new thing. But you had not called on me. You've not been spending time with me. You don't have a relationship with me. And so God says, how about let's try a new strategy. And just a few verses down, verse 26, he says this. So instead of not talking to me, how about come and review the past for me? Let's argue the matter together. State the case for your innocence. Now listen, they can't state their case for innocence, right? Because they're not innocent. But he says, how about this time instead of you just standing back and never being engaged with what I'm doing, let's talk. Let's at least talk. Have a new strategy. I'm going to challenge you with some of the stuff that we talked about earlier. If you've never read the Bible, I heard a lady one time, she came to speak at First Assembly back when First Assembly was meeting right down here in the old center theater. That was back where like the rats went to church and we went with them. I don't remember her name, but she was like this little old lady. She was about this tall and, you know, four foot something. And she stood up in front of the church and she's telling these stories about how God has provided stuff for her. And I'm just sitting there and I'm a, I'm a high school kid. And she told this one story about how there was no gas in her car. And that she actually put her, they laid hands on the car, her and her friend, and prayed, God, please start this car because we've got to be in this city at a certain time. And they turned the, the key and it started. And they got there. And they did what God wanted them to do. And then they put their hands on the car again and said, God, get us home. Crank starts. They drive home. And, you know, you're sitting there as a teenager. I'm hearing this story. And I'm just like, God, I want to be a healer of cars. I just want to, I want to pray for, like, I'm driving on fumes just to have the chance to pray. That, see, just see if it'll happen. But you know what? That's not going to happen for me if I'm not willing to try new things. So when I say to God, I want to have that kind of faith, that was the worst year of my life up to that point in my life. Grandpa dies, my favorite dog died, which I know y'all are kind of like, dude, you're a wuss, get over it, your dog. Dude, when your dog dies, it's a big deal, especially like when you're me. I wrote a poem about my dog when she died and everything. It was a hard year. A girlfriend moved to Ohio. I just, I kind of look back and go, wait a second, God, I, I trust you more now than I ever have before. But all the bad stuff happened. All these hard things happened. And the end result is I'm closer to you. And then God said, remember that little old lady? Remember how you said you wanted to be more like her and have more faith to trust me? You got more faith now? Oh. Oh, yes, I do. The point here is you don't get to have a new level with Jesus by doing the same old stuff you've ever done. Some of you hear me teach, you hear Phil teach, you heard Gary Sadler come and teach. We'll have a couple guests early in the year this year that'll teach, and you'll hear us, and you'll walk out going, man, those guys, they know the Bible. Well, you know how I know the Bible? I read it. I study it. 
I make notes. I do not understand this. Find a smarter person and ask him. We don't sit at, well, maybe Phil does. I don't lay in the bed at night and wake up in the morning going, I know everything about God. Wow. It's not, it doesn't happen that way. You just read it. So the plan this year is not for you to be sitting here next New Year's Day saying, oh, I wish I knew God more. I wish I knew his word more. You know how you're going to know his word more? You're going to read it. G90X. You're either going to read the whole thing in 90 days or you're going to read the New Testament in 90 days. Or you're going to read a portion of the Bible every day for 90 days. I don't know what you're going to do, but you're going to do something because you're not going to have something different by doing the same thing. Get a new strategy. Read the Bible. How about this? Um, have you ever felt like you never really gave yourself to missions? You hear missionaries talking like, God, that would be awesome. You, you hear people talking about how good you feel when you serve somebody and you really want to feel that, but you've never served anybody. So guess how you get that feeling? It's a no-brainer. You serve somebody. That's what you do. Guess when you can get that feeling? Saturday, 1 o'clock, come meet here. We'll just go down and rake some leaves. That doesn't sound real spiritual. It's real spiritual. Because Jesus said he came to serve, not to be served. You want to be like, how many of you, if I could just say, snap your fingers, you'll be instantly like Jesus Christ. Wouldn't you take that deal? I would, because i got a lot of junk in me. I want to be as much like Jesus as I can. You want to be like Jesus on Saturday? One o'clock right here. Get your rake in your hand. Let's go rake some leaves. And you'll be like Jesus. Try something new, a new strategy. Maybe you've never felt connected to people. Get plugged into a community group. I hope what you're seeing is all the things that for so long, if you've been in church a lot over your life, you get tired of it. You're like, God, do we have to do all that stuff? You don't have to do any of this stuff. But what I'm finding is, and what you'll find is, you'll never have that relationship that you want with Jesus if you're not doing missions if you're not connecting with people if you're not reading the bible so start where you are do something new how many of you um always feel like you're behind in your money your finances not even like you just wish there was more money but it's like i can't get a handle on my finances okay so this year try something new put god first in your finances I can't do that. If I actually put God first, I'll have less to try to get through the month with. Now, that's the lie. But that's what you've tried, right? We've tried that, and it hadn't worked. So try something new this year. Put God first. Be great if you gave a tithe first. You're like, dude, there's no way I can swing 10% because you're talking, and it's like, no way. Awesome. Do 2% first. Do 5%. Just put God first. Honor him first and see what he does. I tell you this. You'll hear story after story after story in this year from people that are sitting in this room right now. And you will hear those stories and go, I want that to happen in my life. And the recurring theme from those people will be this. We did something new. We put God first. That will be the recurring theme. And then you'll get to do the same thing, and then you'll get up here and tell your story. It'll be awesome. Um, sometimes we don't feel connected with God in prayer. Uh, here's a real simple thing you can do this Tuesday. Fast a meal. 
It's like, I'll fast breakfast. No, that doesn't count because you're sleeping through breakfast anyway, right? <laughs> you wake up and go, I'm hungry. It's time for lunch. I fasted breakfast. It was awesome. I was asleep. It's like I didn't even do anything. <laughs> fast a meal. Just pick one. You know, you don't have to do the whole day. Pick a meal. Time that you would have eaten, just give it to God. Pray. The point here is this. Engage yourself with the new things that God wants to do. I can guarantee you that you'll find a greater and greater revelation of God's activity in your life this year. Make sense so far? Everybody smile, nod your head, because we're fixing to wrap up. All right, so one last thing. Turn to Philippians chapter 3, and then we'll be done. This is really, really critical, okay? Um, how many of you hate hypocrites? Show of hands. Yeah, I just gripe. Great your nerves. They just get all over us. Um, nobody likes hypocrites. So sometimes when we talk about God doing a new thing, and you're trying to do new things in your life. Here's something I found while I was studying. Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14, classic couple of verses. Paul says this, Not that I've already obtained all this, or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do... Forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. What I want you to get is this. Paul starts by saying, not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect. Now, if Paul was in a modern day church and got up and gave that testimony, there would be this really loud amen because we love for people to realize how unperfect they are. So we stand up and go, I'm not really perfect. And everybody goes, you got that right, buddy. It's good that you're starting to see it now. Amen. Say it again. Paul's freely admitting it. What, what I want you to understand, this is what's going to happen in your life. It's also going to happen in the lives of the people around you right now. You're going to kind of be in no man's land for a while. Because when you're leaving what's back there and going to what's over there, there's this time when you kind of don't have either one. It's good that you're not what you were. It's bad that you're not yet what you'll be. And so sometimes you end up being kind of what you were while you're trying to become something that you want to be and that's where grace comes in everybody say grace grace is a wonderful gift and it's a wonderful gift to give to yourself like okay God I really just blew that obviously I've not obtained it yet but I'm pressing for it and it's a wonderful gift to give to the people around you can you imagine a place where we can actually screw up and not get stoned for it, where we can make a mistake and people go, hmm, nice try, but we need to work on that a little bit more. And the grace of Jesus is going to help you get through that. If we're honest, as we build a church community, it's we're the ones that pull people out of bad circumstances and remove them because they didn't do it right. They might make a bad name for us. They embarrassed us. 
So we're going to pull you out and put you over here until you can get better. And if you haven't learned anything else from this morning, I want you to learn this. That's not how God operates. God looks at disciples that knew hardly anything, and Jesus said, now go. Just go tell them about me. Yeah, you'll make mistakes. It's cool. Just go. I'm bigger than those mistakes. When God builds his church, when he redeems you, when he redeems you and he redeems me, he gets that. We're going to be Paul saying, oh, God, I haven't gotten there yet, but I want to get there. And he gives grace all the way through that journey. I'm challenging you as your leader. Give that grace to each other. Give that grace to yourself. Do something new this year that you've never done before. And watch God do a new thing in your life.